0: you have your bibles uh we're gonna be in first peter we've been in first peter for a while now and i like to say that on sundays because i like the fact that we've been in first peter for a while and i have thought even about this morning giving you a break from first peter and going into something else but guess what i wanted to preach first peter so we're going to be back in first peter this morning and we're going to be in chapter three So 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we had a conversation in the front last week about the, the version of the Bible that I use, and so I either will preach generally out of the New King James version. Or the ESV. Those are the two versions that I generally preach out of. Right now I'm in the ESV. And I do try, Tommy and I talked about this one time, I try as I read the scripture to give you the reference point so that if you get lost in that, you can figure out where we're at. Uh, I know even with my version, I'll try to follow a preacher that has a different version, and sometimes I'll even get lost. So I'll be in the ESV this morning, and uh, we're going to be in First Peter. Now, just to review, I know I do this every week, but I love to do the review. I guess it's just the teacher in me. But we have to understand, again, as we come to this scripture, who the audience was and what Peter was trying to do. Uh, The audience of this letter um, was basically all those that had been dispersed, that had been sent out because of their faith in Christ. They were under extreme persecution. They had lost everything that meant anything to them. And so they're out there and in Peter's love for them and in the leading of the Holy Spirit, Peter wrote this letter to encourage them and to also give them instruction. And so what you're going to see in this letter is not going to be a full theology of the gospel. It's not going to be a full theology of the scriptures. But what Peter is trying to do is tell them what it is for them to live a Christ-like life in the circumstances that they're in. That that's what Peter is trying to do. And if you notice in 1st Peter, you see in 1st Peter a lot of references to suffering. You see a lot of references to suffering and also we saw in this last couple of scriptures specifically as we went through chapter 2 you see this idea that Peter wants them to understand that your circumstances, though they may be hard and horrible, your circumstances, though you may not have control over them, there is one thing that you do have control over, and that's you. You have control over how you respond to your circumstances. You have control over what your mindset is as you go through the things that come at you in life. And what we saw last week, and really this sermon is more a continuation of last week's sermon, what we saw is that when we think of how we are to act in life, when we think about how we are to react in life, what we should think about is our vertical relationship with God, not our horizontal relationship with other people. If we look at our horizontal relationship with other people, we'll find a way to act ungodly. If we worry about the horizontal relationship with the people around us, we'll find a way to be selfish and completely ignore what the Scripture says. But what Peter is showing us, and I believe he showed us mightily last week, and I pray that God does it today showing us through the words of Peter, is that you work through the vertical relationship to be right with God. And as you do that, your vertical relationship will translate into a horizontal change in the relationship that you have. And specifically today, you're going to see where your relationship with God, as you focus on it, other people will be impacted. And guess what? Other people might actually even come to salvation as you focus on that vertical relationship. That's why if I were to say to anybody, what could you do to be more like Jesus? I would say right off the bat, before you do anything external, spend more time with Jesus individually. And as Jesus changes you, he's going to change the people around you. See, a lot of times we want to do and we want to accomplish and we want to just take over the world. When I believe sometimes God wants us to just sit and listen and abide. And guess what? As we do that, we are in a far better place to go out into the world. Now, I have a weed eater at the house. I know this is really weird to bring it up this morning, but I have a weed eater at the house and it's electric. It's an electric weed eater. And I have two. It works. Ah, oh, the way it works now. Now the one that I have that you plug up to the house, I'm gonna tell you something. You can kill a buffalo with that bad boy. You can It will now, now the string will tear your legs up. I'm tell you. These white babies right here, these real pale white babies. I got outside trying to cut some high grass with that weed eater, and as I was trimming it up, I'm coming. I got gassed. I got bruised. I got. Oh, it was horrible. It was nasty. It was bad enough. I was wearing shorts, but I learned you don't use it on big stuff. Okay. I forgot to have yard man over here on the left. But I have this other weed eater that has batteries and it's not really designed for a big job But what I found out is you got to charge that battery up before it really can do much of anything Because when you start out with a half charged battery And you go out to trim your yard with a half charged battery That half charged battery runs out real fast And you know what's amazing when it gets to the low light It has a light on the side, it's almost like dummy lights for me Red, out Orange, almost out Green, you're good for a little while But what I found is when you go out there with a half-charged battery and you start about doing the work, you end up having to leave the work to go back and recharge again because there wasn't enough juice or enough fuel in the tank to begin with. So what we're going to see today, thinking of that analogy, is the fact that we've got to spend time with God so that we can be ready, so that we can be ready for the things that are around us. So let's go ahead and begin here. Chapter 3 of 1 Peter And Peter is speaking specifically as we go to the Scripture to the wives. So let's begin chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. Verse 3, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let you be adorning by the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah, verse 6, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Well, let's go ahead and go back to chapter 2 so that we understand chapter 3. In chapter 2, what we saw repeatedly was be subject to the institutions that are above you, We also saw in chapter 3, servants are to be subject to their masters. And and what we really saw in that scripture, I hope, is that we don't have complete control over the circumstance that we will find ourselves in. And so what comes in chapter 3 is in some ways a continuation of that thought in the first part of that but also is a recognition of the responsibility of the, the spouse, the husband, and the wife in the home. Listen to what he says again. Likewise, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, in this scripture, I think, now of course, they would not necessarily have had Paul's writing uh, to compare to Peter's writing, but we do have both of those that we can compare. I want to go just briefly to the book of Ephesians and just share briefly what Paul says about wives in his scripture or in his letter. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this scripture, if you're not careful, right off the bat, you'll think a lot of things that are way beyond what Peter is actually talking about here. Um, I've done enough weddings at this point, heard enough people speak, that a lot of women don't want to hear about this notion of headship or this notion of the husband being respected in the home or the husband being uh, the, having to submit to the husband. But what we see in this scripture is a glimmer, okay, follow with me now, is a glimmer or just a pale image of how God intended it to be before sin entered the picture. You see, when we come to the Scripture, if we're not careful, what we will do is we will read our experiences into the Scripture. We will read the fallen world into the Scripture and say, how is it that a wife who is in a circumstance with an unbelieving spouse Why should she, at that point, change the way that she behaves when she should be responding to the type of husband that she has? Okay? Put a pin in that for just a moment. Let's back up. Going back to the other examples that we have talked about in the Scripture. What have we said already? Whatever situation you find yourself in, are you worried more about the horizontal relationship or the vertical relationship? What Peter says here is if you find yourself, again, he is writing to those that are dispersed. And he says, wives, if you find yourself in a situation to where your spouse is unbelieving, okay, you have no control over him. You have no control over his conduct. You have no control over his thoughts. You have no control. So what can you do? He says here in that situation, what you need to do is to conduct yourself in such a way that you bring glory to God. And maybe, just maybe, by your testament to, being, to your focus on glorifying God, that he may see that, he may respect that, and guess what? He himself may come to faith because of your example. Is that not what this scripture says? This scripture says, ladies, whatever situation you find yourselves in... Your job in that situation is to think about your relationship with God and what God asks of you. And guess what? You may be in a situation to where it is not the best situation. Your spouse may not be the most godly spouse there is. But your job in that situation is to be Christ in a home to where outside of you Christ does not exist. That's a challenge. Because... The woman's heart, and I can say the same for the man's heart, the woman's heart longs for a husband that she can respect. The woman's heart longs for a husband that she can look up to. The woman's heart longs for the husband that is going to protect her, that is going to speak kind words to her. And as we see later on in the book of Ephesians, that loves her as Christ loved the church. Because the image that we have in Scripture is not the head of a home who is bludgeoning his wife verbally and bludgeoning his wife physically. What we see in Scripture, the ultimate picture of godliness as a home, is a husband who leads, but leads in a way that shows his wife that he loves her, that he respects her, and that her opinions are just as important as his opinions you see, in the godly home, the way that it's structured in Ephesians, the whole beautiful picture is that as the husband leads and as the wife follows, there's almost a I hate to use a big word, but almost a symbiotic relationship between the two to where the husband truly can't lead if his wife is hurting. And the husband truly can't make decisions if he's just bypassing his wife. Because guess what, just as he loves to be heard? His wife is to be heard. And just as much as he loves for his decisions, his opinion to be considered in other matters, the same is true of his wife. And there's this beautiful picture that God has created and has shown us. But the reality of our life is that that picture is not now what it is supposed to be. So that when we see these scriptures and we try to understand these scriptures, our sinful nature is pushing against these scriptures because we're thinking about our own situation and our own conduct. What Peter says, whatever situation you are in, wife, he says, I want you to live godly so that, guess what, you may win not only your husband, but we can say by extension, we can win others to Christ. And to not worry about those external things that cause others to look at you and think you are beautiful. But rather to have that heart that longs for God and the things of God. And where true beauty comes from. Amen. I don't know about you, and I don't want to be critical because I have a lot of beautiful people in this church except for Tommy. Um, I, have, I love you, Tommy. I really do. Um, What I have found is not all the time. My life is beautiful, so this doesn't count for her. But but what I have found in life are some of the most beautiful people physically are some of the ugliest people spiritually. That's not always true, but our world puts a preference on external beauty. And whether we agree with that or not, even ourselves, we put a preference on external beauty. But God never puts a preference on external beauty. That's right. had a conversation with my kids at school this week about Jesus. We were, I can't remember what exactly we were talking about. And I, don't, I, I, I really try to let my classroom be my classroom. But if a kid ever asks anything about the Bible or there's a, something I can bring in, I'll try to bring it in if I can. And I don't remember what the context was. They were talking about the Harlem Renaissance and jazz and black culture and all the rest. And, and, and so I got to talking about, I got to thinking about how I've seen pictures of a white Jesus in some churches and I've seen a picture of a black Jesus in some places. So I asked the questions in my class. what question in my class, what color was Jesus? Was he a really nice looking white guy with flowing red hair? What did he look like? Was he... Black. Was he a black Jesus that had a different texture here, but still a good looking guy? And I had a little Hispanic girl on the back and said he was really brown. I said, that's actually true. He was brown. And I said, and not only that, the scripture tells us in Isaiah that he was nothing to be looked at. There was nothing on the outside of Jesus that any of us would have looked at him and thought, "I want to follow him." He was not charismatic in that way. He didn't look The Bible basically says, and I mean this is no disrespect, because it's right in the book of Isaiah, Jesus was an ugly guy to look at, but his external appearance isn't what actually mattered. Who he was is what mattered. So he was the Christ. But guess what? You had to look past the physical to see what was true that he was Jesus. So they, he says here to these ladies as you're seeking to be faithful, as you're seeking to be godlike, make sure that you're not worried on the external, okay, but worried on the internal, those things that truly matter. Spend your time focusing on your relationship with God. And guess what? He'll transform the way you look. Now, they have an ugliest dog competition. Have you heard of this bad boy? Every year, they have the ugliest dog competition. And there's some nasty looking dogs in that competition. I'm talking about one eye, one tooth, ear falling off, tail half wagging, left leg dragging. But you know what's amazing is? Even the ugliest dog, you look at it and you're thinking, that dog's kind of cute. You can't be like, he's ugly, but he's so ugly, he's look, Cute. I tell people all the time, I'm a handsome man when you turn lights off. I'm beautiful when it's dark. I tell you what, I, I am thin when it's dark. I have hair when it's dark. I can run when it's dark. I can't really run, but you don't know the difference. Um, but I am beautiful when it's dark. What I'm trying to say is, no matter how you look, God, in your life and in your heart, makes you beautiful. Not only beautiful to those that know Christ around you, but oh, the sweet aroma of your life that goes to the very nostrils of God. How beautiful and how wonderful that is. He says in verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to other husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now I'm going to stop for just a moment and just say, Abraham was not a perfect husband. Okay, We see that scripture and we think, oh, that's true. But even Abraham himself was not a perfect husband. What did he do when he was scared of the Pharaoh? He said, this is not my wife, this is my what? Sister. And allowed her to go. She trusted him. She trusted him. He wasn't perfect. But I believe what this scripture speaks to is the fact that Sarah, she wasn't perfect either, Okay. But Sarah, for all her faults, and Abraham, for all his faults, Sarah genuinely wanted to be right with God and how she treated her husband. Despite his failures, despite his just ignorance sometimes, she wanted to be faithful. And here's what's amazing. Despite that fact, both of them were used mightily for God. You see, God works through imperfect people. There is not one perfect And that's not an excuse to write it off and say, well, nobody's perfect. No, I hate when people do that. I can't stand when people do that. But the reality of the scripture is that God works through imperfect people because there are no perfect people. We're all imperfect. And yet God can do some amazing things. What did Jesus say to the disciples? I believe what Jesus said to the disciples. Or it might have been Paul. I'm trying to think right off the bat. When they came and they were talking to him about the fact that other people were prophesying in the name of Christ. And casting out demons. The, basically the, 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 uh, the response was... The gospel's getting out there, okay? The gospel's getting out there. There are preachers today that are preaching just for money. They're preaching just for exposure. They're preaching just to fill their pockets. But guess what? As they're speaking the word out there, God is using the word. Even through imperfect people with imperfect motives, there are people that are dying and going to hell that are using the Bible for other purposes. But as the word goes out, people's lives are changed. So God can do anything He wants to with His word through imperfect people. And so he says to her, says to ladies in this situation, in your place, in your heart, where you are at, where you are at, be there for Christ. Likewise, verse 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now I want to share with you real quick. You Google this particular scripture, the weaker vessel, you get a whole lot of stuff pop up because people have used this particular scripture to put women down. People have used this particular scripture to rob women of their dignity. But I want you to listen. I found something that I want to read to you that I think really speaks to this. And I want to make sure that you hear it the correct way. So I'm going to read to you what I found. This is from Legionnaire Ministries, and I think this really speaks to this. They say, we read in 1 Peter 3, 7, that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way, honoring them as the weaker vessel in the relationship. But what does Peter mean when he calls the woman the weaker vessel? We must note that Peter does not have in mind here the idea that women are somehow inherently lesser Than men spiritually. So, first thing right off the bat, when it says the weaker vessel, we're not saying they are less Christian or less favorite in God's sight. Okay? As the rest of the verse explains, wives are co heirs with their husbands of the grace of life. When Peter speaks of the woman as the weaker vessel, he likely has several things in mind. First is the idea of physical weakness since, generally speaking, and I will say there are some women out there who could flat out tear me up. Okay, I understand that. I've seen them on some of those wrestling shows. I've seen them on the, the, the fighting shows. There are some women out there that could whoop me and just plank me on the ground. Okay, I understand that. So listen to what he says, though. Generally speaking, men are physically stronger than most women and could use their strength against their wives. Secondly, Peter may also have been, without endorsing this view, responding to the idea that women in his day were viewed by much of the society as weaker in dignity than men. You have to realize, too, also at this time, the woman had no rights. And also, there was no respect for the woman in the home or the wife in the home. He says, Unfortunately, the continued objectification of women in our own society testifies that this remains an implicit assumption for many people even today. And finally, Peter may also be speaking of women having lesser authority in the marital relationship. And this is how they finish this summation. Considering these emphases, Peter recognizes that it can be tempting for husbands to exercise their authority in a cruel and demeaning way. Therefore, in keeping with the biblical teaching on the dignity of both men and women, he calls husbands to honor their wives as their weaker vessel. Far from taking advantage of their own physical power, objectifying their wives, or using their authority in a cruel or demeaning way, husbands must instead respect their wives and exercise leadership lovingly and considerately. And when this is done, the prayers of the couple are not hindered. Basically this just as we see from Paul in Ephesians. If you structure that home in a godly way, then godly things are going to happen in your marriage. Is it going to be perfect? No. Are you going to struggle with sin and, 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 and selfishness? Yes. But again, we're focusing on that vertical relationship of making sure wherever we're at, Whether we are in our home, in our workplace, or any other place, we want to make sure that we are being a testament and a testimony to the greatness and the goodness and the mercy of Christ. And I would say in closing, going back to this particular scripture, and I would say that this would probably apply to all of these, but we'll leave it as it is when it speaks to husbands, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There is, um, there is an event that um, I get an opportunity to go to once or twice a year. And at this event, the men in the room have an opportunity to pray a prayer of repentance about the way that they have treated the women in their lives. And I can, I can speak as a husband and a dad and as a son, as a grandson, as a nephew. I, I really wish that I could say that I've always been the kind of husband and father and leader that I needed to be. I don't know about you. Have you ever spoken out in anger? Have you done things for selfish reasons? what God says to each one of us is whatever situation we're in, whether we are the husband, whether we are the wife, whether we are the child, whether we are the slave, whether we are the worker, whoever we are, our job is to be found right in Christ and in whatever situation we are in to be faithful. May God bless the reading and the teaching of His Word. Let's pray together. God, we thank You that You are so gracious. That you can take the mess that we've made as husbands and as wives and as parents, as in grandparents, God, that you can take that mess and not only as we repent, will you forgive us of that mess, but we can still see a little bit of how it's supposed to be when we're faithful to you. God, as we saw the other week, there we only see bits and pieces and this scripture is a, a, a piece of what we see on this earth. But God, you're, you're doing something in heaven. There's something, there's a plan that we can't see. But our individual part is to be found faithful where we are at. So God, I pray during this time of invitation, if we need to repent, that we would repent. God, that if we need to celebrate, that we can celebrate. But God, Either way, that we can really think about what it means to be found faithful in our vertical relationship with you and ask the honest question, are we impacting the people around us horizontally? Because if we're not, we need to focus back on our relationship with you. God bless us during this hymn we ask, and it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.